welcome to the Bro Novo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. Now here's your host, Thomas Pierce. Welcome everybody to another Thursday, another episode of the Bro Novo Podcast. As always, it's your host, Thomas Pierce. This week I'm here with Bree Tartaglione. She's a motivational speaker, certified school counselor, and emotional wellness coach. So Brie educates individuals and teams with mental health frameworks to disrupt unfit emotional patterns and navigate a healthy path forward. And her motto or tagline is to uh, buy into the possibility of you. So Brie, thanks so much for being here. Welcome to the pod. Thank you so much for having me, Thomas. I'm really happy to be here. Excited to get into it. Um, I know when I had you on my podcast, it was just an awesome conversation. So I'm looking forward to this one. For sure. Yeah, it, it's a long time coming. That was back uh, in the winter, I suppose. And we were just talking about your your schedule. So we did that podcast and it didn't go up for a long time. And I was like, wow, Bree has a lot of uh, content in the in the hopper. So how has that process been for you? And when did you actually start your, your, uh, your podcast? Yeah. So, uh, I started the podcast in January of 2021. Um, so I've been about a year and a half now, uh, when I had started it, I was podcasting from my closet, uh, just to <laughs> get that sound barrier in there. So you just got to start somewhere. That's where I started. Um, but everything is going so well. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited to dig into the podcast if that's what you want to do or parts of it. But the podcast, the business and coaching, I mean, everything is really on its way and uh, starting to automate itself, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. So your path to the coaching, because I, I guess I'm, I'm always a bit skeptical of people who are coaches you know, because I'm like, I don't, I don't know, like, who is this person? Why are they qualified right. to help other people? Mm-hmm. But you know, you were, as we mentioned in the intro, uh, a school counselor, a certified school counselor. So you have extensive training, which makes me more comfortable <laughs> with the idea. But I guess, what about that work didn't work for you, if you will, and why were you kind of motivated to do a different angle? Yeah, there, there's so much in that question. So um, for me, I'm going to kind of talk pre-pandemic first. Uh, I always worked in schools. I realized I wasn't really passionate about a specific subject. I was really passionate about the social-emotional aspect. That's what really drove me into school counseling. Uh, so I did go through the extensive uh, degree and credentialing to get that certification to become a certified school counselor. And I finished, I graduated in 2019. Um, I then was working in schools and I actually worked in schools through the pandemic, but uh, simultaneously, actually, as the pandemic happened in March of 2020, I also had a really rare, unknown, unexpected medical occurrence that happened to me um, that sort of flipped everything on its head. So for me, um, based on my personal experience, which I can dive into that if you want to go there, if not, totally okay. But it was my personal experience mixed with sort of this counseling through the pandemic uh, 
which really had me want to pivot. And I realized that school, well, school counseling is amazing, first of all, and counseling has my heart. Um, But at that time, especially based on what I was dealing with personally, uh, that pivot happened really into podcasting, coaching, because I realized that I wanted to start working with a more adult population. Mm. Um, And I found that, again, with what I went through, I really had to sort of a blend of counseling and coaching to get myself through what I went through. Um, And so what I realized was there is this need for uh, emotional wellness in adulthood that we don't, we kind of uh, very often push to the side or act like it's not something that we need. Um, And there is a need and there was a need. And that's what I really identified because I found that after Again, the combination of these two things, my medical experience as well as my counseling credentials, I had all of these adults coming to me asking for asking me for help and advice with different um, things that they were going through. And that's actually a big difference with counseling and coaching as well. Um, counseling, you really, really, really uh, disconnect as a counselor from your personal story because you need to you need to be able to be unbiased and in the the place with the person who you're counseling. So uh, often our personal stories don't serve the person that we are counseling. Um, and that so that's actually you do a lot of work in school and are counseling for that. But with coaching, uh, your personal story actually is a huge factor in how you coach, what you coach about. Mm. Um, So your journey can really come into play. So uh, there was that transition there for me that uh, that really sort of bolstered the the coaching and the speaking and such. Interesting. So it it sounds like it was a a combination of wanting to work with adults, which kind of got you out of the specific work you were doing, but then also having, being more relational perhaps. Mm -hmm was a motivation to, because with coaching, you can just make your own style, right? Right, right. It's very, uh, the industry, the industry of coaching <laughs> <is> pretty unregulated <laughs> at yeah. this point. So, um, you know, it, it's sort of a, a blessing and a curse. Obviously, you know, skepticism is okay and welcomed. It has to be. That's what you kind of let in. And I was even a skeptic before I started doing it. But when you really think about in life, um, you know, growing up, especially, uh, we had coaches all around us. Uh, Teachers can be considered coaches, you know, you know, they can do academic coaching. We obviously had sports coaching and that. And so, um, a coach is really the person who can help you level up in a specific place that you're looking to level up in. They're going to give you the tools, tell you how to practice what you need. Um, and they're also going to ask the right questions. So it's about asking a lot of questions more than offering that advice. But you become the you have to think of it in the same way, like the way that I really got used to the idea was 
my sports coaches. It's like, what did they do for me and how did they empower me to become better? Because every coach I know made me a better person in whatever field it was that I was working in. So that's sort of the mindset shift in coaching and how that um, can really benefit anyone who's looking for it. Nice. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, the sports thing I can totally relate to. Some of the most influential people in my life were and are my sports coaches. Because right. it kind of is a third entity. You know, like with the whole Howard Schultz, this, the guy who kind of revitalized Starbucks, This he had this whole idea of the third space separate from home and work that people can relax and, and work together. And that's kind of the, the model they used for their stores. And I feel like coaching sports coaches or otherwise kind of have that third space feel to them because they're not really your family and they're not your work or your school, but they're still intimate in some way and also see the individual succeed and fail and are able to identify, okay, where are their weaknesses and how far can I push them on that? without overdoing it. Um, that's it. I think that's a great way, that third space. I think that's a mm-hmm. really good way to put it. And I think another, uh, I guess, way to sort of distinguish counseling and coaching would be uh, in counseling often, not always, but often you're doing a lot of work with a person's past, their trauma, their history, their experiences Um, And doing that work is in uh, helping a person heal. So it's a, it's a healing process. If we think um, of, if we're on a scale, uh, negative numbers don't mean they're negatively connotated, but I think of, if we think of this scale from therapy to coaching, the zero is in the middle therapy starts in the negatives and you're trying to get that person back to zero. You're really working Mm -hmm. on their historical self Whereas coaching is really more of a developmental path where you can work on things that happened in the person's history, but that dives into that therapeutic space. So coaching is much more about let's identify your strengths and your weaknesses here at zero and then develop you into the positives where you want to go. Interesting. So do you, do you ever have situations where you actually refer someone to more counseling or therapy style? For sure. I'm actually, um, currently it's, it's funny that you asked that because I actually, um, am recently enrolled in a bridge program and it's for exactly what you're saying. So right now I have my coaching practice. I I'm a certified school counselor, which means I'm only certified to counsel in schools, but I realized a lot of, uh, clients that I will work with could be in need of both. And so I have referred uh, coaching clients to therapeutic practices or different therapists that I know that I think could benefit or have recommended um, different therapeutic styles that I find that they could benefit from. But I'm actually now enrolled in a program. It's a bridge program to become a clinical mental health counselor, which means that. uh, Nice. Yeah. So in May 2023. So from recording exactly a year from now, um, I will have that bridge certificate, which then means that I will now be able to counsel anyone. 
So adults, children, in schools, in private practice, in therapeutic settings. So I'm actually working on that degree to speak to the question that you're saying. Might there be people who I would refer to counseling? I want to be able to incorporate both. And I think that people can benefit from both. So uh, that's the plan right now. But it definitely, again, it depends on the client. Everyone's in need of different things in their life. So it's really working with them to see what what their goals are and how I can help them benefit. Nice. Well, that's that's awesome because it kind of uh, is putting into practice what you work on, you know, being, okay, here's a gap or uh, something that could benefit me, probably personally, professionally, all of the above. Yeah. Okay, so let's bring it back then to to young Bree. Before you got on this on this path to being this awesome kick ass coach who's helping people change their lives, you know what were the the formative experiences you had, and what were those kind of fundamental influences that shaped your personality and kind of put you on this on this trajectory? Oh, that's such a good question. <laughs> uh, so so many so many things, so many influences. I can give you a quick backstory and then kind of lead you in. But um, I am for sure a perfect mix of both of my parents. Uh, my father was a business owner, go getter, uh, just always on that that path to developing, pushing, and uh, exceeding his own expectations and potential. Uh, my mom was his partner in crime and my mom was the empathetic, uh, just incredibly genuine, loving, caring human being who I got all of that just um, emotional understanding, emotional output, uh, that mm. caring, compassionate piece of me. So between the two, if I can, if I just put those two together, business owner, compassionate, caring human being, I developed a business in emotional wellness. So I really did sort of take my parents and, uh, you know, the combination of the two of them and put it to what I've learned as a human being. But nice. aside from them, um, you know, I kind of, I kind of spoke on it a little bit, but education was always, always, always where I was. When I got out of elementary school, when I was in middle school, I was going back to the elementary school to help them. When I got to high school, I was going back to the middle school to help them. So I always had this, uh, this pull to help others. Uh, and for the longest, I really thought that meant that my trajectory was to continue in education. Little did I know that it was really just my environment was in an educational environment. So that was just kind of how I could continue to help others. Mm. But um, it from a very young age, it, it felt like education was where I was meant to be, where I was supposed to be. And for a long time, I was. And I really loved it. And I, though I don't work with students directly anymore, uh, they are the foundation to everything I do. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible when you think about, especially middle school, that was the sweet spot that I really enjoyed working in. And most people thought that I was crazy for that, but there's something about middle schoolers and being in that place in life. And as an adult watching kids in that place in life or adolescents in that place in life and how important and impactful those few years are going from, you know, 
11, 12 to 13, 14, that just few year span is an incredible place of growth and development. Mm. And so it was really in observing, working with, and uh, just being in middle school settings that I would say it was hugely foundational to everything else that I'm doing. Amazing. Was that, was that kind of a mind freak out? Like realizing this thing you thought was your whole deal? Was it as far as like working in education? That's kind of a big shift. <laughs> uh, um, yes and no. So I, so um, I always knew that like I always I always had that piece of my father burning inside of me to mm, build something nice. of my own to you know <laughs> make, awesome. make something and you know start a business even though I have I really had no idea what it took at that point uh still incredibly you know in the learning phase right now but I always had that fire in me so it wasn't always that um it wasn't a huge freak out moment, but it was, it was definitely a, a screeching halt in the pandemic where I was like, whoa, I'm making a big shift here. I didn't think I would shift out of education so quickly, but again, it was, it was, it was part of the plan. And I knew that education was great for foundation for me. And I really didn't know how long I would be in it for, um, and I really didn't know what I would be building once I got out of it. But in, you know, all in all, the nerves also pushed me to do it. I'm like, there's no need for me to wait anymore. I have this story. I just went through this incredibly impacting uh, life medical moment. I, you know, everything is stopping and shifting and transforming in our world. Like there's no better time for me to jump full force into this burning passion than right now. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that worked out. And is that an ongoing monitoring situation or was it a one, one off? So I, I believe that uh, I am on, I am on the, the new path that I plan to be on for a while. But again, I guess I'm always ready to pivot and shift and iterate and refocus. So uh, in the same way that, you know, I pretty recently just decided to apply for this clinical mental health counseling licensure, because I was like, I think that that could really add to this. But now, you know, I'm kind of shifting back into student mode. And I haven't been a student since 2019. And prior to that, since 2014. So it's like, I keep taking these few year gaps from education and then slowly continue to build, uh, kind of bake in these new models of learning and, and growing. So, uh, who knows is the answer, nice, nice. <laughs> but, uh, I'm okay if it's not the last time I pivot. Totally. Well, I mean, lifelong learning, right. It's kind of really important and, now we also live in this era i feel where well this is probably always accessible to people but you people had to be so successful they could afford to switch but multiple careers mm-hmm. you know building skills in one type of field and then switching and doing something different and the whole time kind of accumulating cash flows and 
businesses, ideally. Yeah. Or investments. And uh, yeah, being able to pivot. So awesome. Well, yeah. So, so as you know from our conversation and kind of you heard some of my story about like what influenced me to start this program, a lot of this conversation centers around, you know, masculinity, what is healthy masculinity, what is unhealthy masculinity. And it's a, it's a big nebulous question. Um, I think that there are a lot of elements that we could talk about in a more nuanced way just because of your expertise, you know, especially like thinking back to, like you said, how influential those early years are and how, for example, like say like a, a young boy or girl is with a group of friends and then there's, there's a, um, someone who stands up to a bully or someone who stops, you know, like picking on others, for example, and seeing that could be really influential for someone and being, Oh, okay. Like this thing in my gut told me that it was wrong for this one kid to pick up, pick on the other, but seeing someone stop that and have the courage to stop it could be very influential even for their whole life potentially, you know, and, and our youths, I feel like are littered with those experiences that are super informative and lead to, you know, adult behavior. And my observations, especially of my age group, so I'm I'm 26, uh, yeah, right, yeah, 26, and I feel that my age group is one where a lot of guys, obviously, were adults, but they haven't yet taken the step to like stand in their own power, if you will, of doing what they feel is right and not bending to peer pressure, for example, kind of just doing what they think they should working the jobs where they think they should work and, you know, socializing with the peer group where they think they should socialize. So I guess a lot of this comes, comes down to like a lack of uh, stepping away from the norm. And I think with masculinity and healthy masculinity, there needs to be a, a mass step away from the current norm <laughs> in a lot of ways. So yeah, those are my uh, those are my current musings on it, but would love to hear your thoughts uh, on that as well. <laughs> yeah, <it's, laughs> so much we could just really tackle this for hours. Uh, but there's a few things that you said that I really want to piggyback off of. So when I was listening to you sort of talk about just the masculinity of today, which we might consider toxic masculinity, uh, the words that you used were, um, you know, men thinking they should do this and thinking they should act this way and thinking they should, you know, put on this front, whatever it might be. Um, all of that thinking is based on outside perspective. And that is where the toxicity is coming from. Uh, because though there is something called external self-awareness, which is really how we understand how others see us um there we can also externalize uh not in a self-aware way to try to um act in a way we think others are expecting of us to act um this is a this is a big place of where any type of displayed behavior is going to come from so uh there there is non-toxic masculinity as well. Uh, it doesn't look like any shape or form, uh, but it looks like a combination of 
true internal self-awareness as well as confidence. Uh, but confidence can get tricky too, because confidence can really transition into cockiness if it's not, uh, if it's not real, I guess, if it's, if there, if it's an externalized behavior. So, um, you know, again, there's so many places we could go, but I believe what I'm trying to distinguish right now in this conversation is that toxicity piece comes from external validations. Uh, we put out what we think others are looking for uh, based on maybe the environments we grew up in, the other masculine influences that men might have had in their life. Um, you know, there's, there's just so much that goes into that masculinity fabric for someone. But again, it's that externalizing that toxicity uh, comes to form uh, with self-awareness and an understanding of what masculine masculinity means to you and how that feels like a part of your being. That's when it becomes comfortable, mm -hmm. okay, well, well intended and well absorbed. Uh, so I guess that's that's really the, the distinction right now that I can help make. That makes a lot of sense. And and that principle can be applied to everyone, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All genders and identities. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah. I, I guess so. Then, what about the kind of social fabric? makes these distinctions relevant mm. the gender distinctions and masculinity femininity oh that oh what a what a <laughs> question um you know there again there is we use these words uh masculinity and femininity femininity but we know that uh everything is on a spectrum um, or at least that's how maybe we don't all know it. That's my mistake, but <laughs> we don't know. I, I apologize. Uh, in the counseling community, we work with everything on a spectrum. Uh, so in understanding, and, and sometimes that spectrum isn't just linear, but there's layers on top of it, layers behind it. So it can almost look like a, a, a vortex of sorts, you know, where that spectrum is not linear. and masculinity and femininity, um, you know, can be found in, in not necessarily opposite places, but places that aren't right next to each other. And often um, in our environments, especially growing up, uh, you can think of it like, let's say you're growing up in a household where uh, there's actually a display of really um, comfortable masculinity, that real self-awareness, uh, understanding of self and, you know, masculinity can be displayed, but in a way that feels healthy for the person, for the family, uh, and children are sponges. So that child might be, whether that's dad or uncle or older brother absorbing that, but then they go out on the basketball court, on the football field, on the soccer field, and 
they're with a whole bunch of other influences with different masculinity. And that's where those behaviors, I, I, I actually, I need to come back to the question, but that's, that's where those behaviors might stem from those externalizing mm-hmm. behaviors. Because even if you have a healthy roadmap at home, it's not just about what's happening at home. It's about also what's happening when our brain is really malleable at that young age, you know, anywhere at our brains are still developing till 25, most of us. So, I mean, when we're getting all of those outside influences uh, to act a certain way, that's where that externalizing comes from. But, Thomas, I, I did go on a tangent. <laughs> No worries. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I know we were talking about the masculinity and the femininity. Um, and you, but please, <laughs> I can, I can come back to it. <laughs> For sure. No, I think that makes sense. Cause also it gets at this deep desire that everyone wants acceptance and validation. Mm-hmm. And as a kid, the peer group is, is that, Right. I feel like, I mean, I haven't been a parent, but I would imagine from a parent's perspective, there's some things a parent can do to reinforce love and let the kid know that they're the best and all that. But I don't know if they're going to school and and they don't relate and they can't fit in and they don't feel accepted. That's brutal. Yeah. You know, so it's understandable why a child would adapt and try to mirror what their peer group is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the the thing I'm curious to I guess learn more about is just this, like this social fabric we're all operating in, because yeah. you know like the roots are with more traditional gender norms, and now there's I would think maybe since like the 60s or 70s there's this kind of renegotiation mm-hmm. of what what are gender roles, and now I think with among people who care about this, there's an understanding that the masculinity and femininity are are in both men and women and all genders. But yeah, I I guess what I'm hearing from you is that for both people, regardless is having that, having the confidence and the, and the self-assuredness come from a place where it's genuine and not a show is really what matters. Yeah. Yeah. It's got, it's got to come from inside. And I think What's really interesting uh, to to your point about sort of this uh, transitioning out of these two gender gendered roles to maybe a much broader place, um, we can think of it in the same evolution of understanding that toxic the toxic or the t- toxicity in those roles versus sort of coming into your own. Um, with the expansion of, uh, not that it's, but with the expansion in, in modern society of an understanding that there are more possibilities out there, not just black and white, not just man and woman, not just masculine and feminine, but a blend. Um, and especially, you know, I, I live in New York City, so I see that expansion happening quicker and at a, at a rate, uh, again, at, at a higher pace than people in more rural areas. So it's understandable if you're not seeing this expansion yet. I understand mm-hmm. that. Um, but 
it's interesting because I believe at least that this expansion of not just pinpointing yourself as one or the other, or not just displaying masculinity or femininity, but maybe a combination of both is actually coming from that internal place. Clearly, it's not about the external validation for people who are sort of in the middle of the spectrum or on the spectrum in some place that's not all the way to the left or all the way to the right, uh, because it's not an easy place to be. So it's not about that external validation where that toxicity is coming from. It's coming from a self-awareness of understanding that you this is who you are. This is how you feel. This is how you like to express. This is what feels most natural for you, whether the world is ready to see it and take it in or not. So uh, I just think, you know, it's a really interesting place to be because it seems like maybe as a society, as a whole, we are growing into more self-awareness and being a little bit more comfortable in our own, in our own skin. However, again, there are lots of people who just don't understand it and as I said, if it's not around you, especially if you're not in a, in a major city, you know, seeing the expansion at a rapid rate, it can be tough to understand. So it's okay to ask those types of questions to, uh, to help others understand. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's so, okay. So if it, if it comes from a place of, it's kind of a combination of like knowing oneself mm-hmm. and then loving that self and welcoming it and reinforcing it, what are the steps people can take to get to that place of more healthy confidence as opposed to an externalized confidence? Yeah. Uh, So the first thing is uh, this consciousness in in understanding um, who you are, uh, a consciousness to, or or making a conscious effort to try to understand. Uh, and I say consciousness, it's just a really big part of what we do. And I say that because so often we can go on autopilot in life and it can put us on many tracks that weren't the track that we were trying to go on. So uh, step one is trying to become a more conscious self, a more conscious being. Um, that consciousness is going to help you facilitate internal dialogue. So first I'm saying, wake up to yourself. And then I'm saying, talk to yourself (laughs) because because that internal dialogue, it's something that uh, we're doing constantly throughout our days, but a lot of us are not even conscious to it. it. There could be people who are listening right now who might have no idea that actually the person that they talk to the most is themselves. That's factual. (laughs) The people, the person that we talk to most in the world is ourselves. And that's in our internal dialogue. But so many of us are not conscious to it, not aware of it. So sort of waking up to that internal dialogue is going to help us ask the right questions. It's going to help us with that awareness, with that understanding of who we are, what we're doing, what we're portraying. So if I walk into a room and I don't, I, I feel really nervous, really scared, uh, really not confident. Maybe I just walked into a room of, you know, just 
all of these experts in the field and I just feel small or less than compared to them. If I walk in and then I'm able to ask, it's not just becoming the emotion or becoming the feeling or walking in and saying, wow, I feel so small. I'm going to be terrible. This is, I'm not where I should be, but rather walking in, having that understanding saying, okay, I'm feeling nervous. Why am I feeling this way? What, you know, what are, what factors are making me feel small or incompetent or less than? How can I flip this for myself to make this experience what I need it to be for me? And we need to get out of this, uh, this selfishness factor where we think that doing things for ourselves and, you know, trying to be the best version of ourselves is selfish. Uh, I think that that's, it, it can be a way that a lot of people think about this and why they don't want to put themselves first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, we, we feel like the selflessness is a virtue, which it is to an extent, but you can't pour from an empty cup. You have to be able to pump yourself up, give yourself the confidence, figure out why you are feeling or experiencing something. So Acting those, asking those active questions to yourself is a really, really powerful way. Um, if talking to yourself consciously doesn't feel like it, journaling is just as effective. It's an incredibly effective form of developing who you are. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that, Brie. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Cool. Well, we'll jump over to the. Uh, the th- I had a new, I had a, people are not going to be sick of this every week. I'm like the three things game is retired. I have a new conversation game and I also have a, uh, some rapid fire questions for you, Brie. Let's do it. I got that from your show actually. You- <laughs> Love it. Okay. All right. Top three albums. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know that I would be able to choose. I wouldn't even be able to name them. I don't even think I could name songs right now. Like I am the type of person who just like listens <laughs> to music and feels it. And I would, I, I, I don't know if I can answer. Can I, can I write in? Can I pause here? Write in? No. Yeah. No worries. No worries. No worries at all. This, that question gets people. Does it? Yeah. Oh, okay, this one uh, I feel will be maybe different. Uh, okay, so top three songs to dance to. Oh, um, geez, Louise. I don't know that you enjoy dancing. I'm just guessing you like dancing. I love dancing. I was actually love dancing. my yeah. whole life. But I, <laughs> you're going to think I'm crazy, but I really like names of songs or albums or even, I mean, I know artists, but like, uh-huh. They are not in my long-term memory, and I feel so. No worries, no worries. I mean, you, you're you're super present. You know, you're like if a song comes on, I like it, I dance to it. It's simple. Really true. <laughs> I I have to prepare now that you've asked me these questions. Though I need to know for myself now. Not even that anyone might ever ask me the questions again, but I'm gonna do my own research for myself. There you go. Okay, <laughs> top three books. Oh. Um, okay. I can, I can do this. The power of now by Mm. Eckhart Tolle. Oh yeah. I read that. Um, Yep. 12 rules for life. Jordan Peterson. Mm, Nice. And (laughs) 
think. Oh, there's so many good ones. Probably the subtle art of not giving a fuck. That's definitely up there. So nice. Okay. Yeah. Brie approved. Okay, I haven't read that, but you you enjoyed it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really did. Nice. Okay, last one of the rapid fire. Your top three role models. Oh, okay. I can do that. Um, Brene Brown, for sure. Uh, really big Brene Brown fan. Um, Jay Shetty, who is, um, he was a monk for a while, sort of transitioned to a coach, motivational speaker, uh, thought leader. And... Mel Robbins is another big one. I'm definitely leaving out some people that I really, I look up to a lot of people. I have a lot of role models. Uh, And this is also sort of role models in my field, not necessarily like if I could say my mom and my dad, I would because I mean, maybe I can, but um, you know, people, people who others can look up and see. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. And the new conversation game here in the pod. So we just get one question. And would you like to go first or second, Brie? Uh, I'm going to go first. Okay. There you go. Oh, what's your most cherished memory? Describe it in detail. So this is me. I have to answer this. Right. Yeah, that's okay. for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most cherished memory. Uh, well, you know, I can, I can give you – I have a lot of cherished memories, but um, I – I know I spoke a lot about this weird medical condition that I have and I didn't really go into detail, but I'm going to give you a memory that I, for sure, it's cherished. Um, This medical condition rendered me paralyzed for several weeks. I didn't know if I would ever walk again. Uh, And I, out of whatever miracle it might be, took my first steps again on my 29th birthday. Um, I don't know that I will ever receive a better birthday gift for myself, unless I happen to give birth on my birthday as well. Um, (laughs) (laughs) you know, so, but yeah, taking, taking my first steps again as a 29 year old individual is something that I know is unique to me. It's not something that many people at all experience after they walk for the first time, they don't usually have to learn how to do it again. So I know I am in a minority population and, uh, that's a memory that I will absolutely never forget. Wow, what a reborn moment. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's incredible. That's and that makes sense then with the kind of larger narrative of changing changing paths. Yeah. Changing paths, yeah. Amazing, beautiful. Okay, my question. Out of my entire family, whose death would affect me the most and why? <laughs> i'm glad you didn't get this me too i wouldn't be able to answer yeah um i mean i'm very close with all of my family my media family so i think like it's kind of hard to um identify one person out of them that would affect me the most but i think just in general like what would happen if one of them were to die suddenly maybe is a more productive question um, I don't know. I think it's one of those, it's all for me. Like, I think you're a very family oriented person too. So 
to me, it would feel like almost similar to the question of like, what happens when we cross that barrier, right? Of like, what, when we die, what happens? What, what is there? And like, what is life like? Cause I don't know. I feel like if it would be like a part of me dying, probably, right? That's what that would feel like, maybe. So I don't know. But I think maybe a more helpful thought is just that like, everyone's lives, including our most cherished people's are fragile and anyone could die at any time, you know? So maybe just to make sure we're, we're keeping up and kind of like doing the right things for those relationships. Yeah. And, and so if they do die, we can look back and say, we had those laughs. We had those quality times. You know, I was a supportive son, brother for them. Yeah. Oh. That's a tough question for sure. But I think yeah. you really spun it. <laughs> I, I saw it and I was like, all right, I'm not going to answer this. And I was like, you know what? Like, Oh yeah. I was like, I'm not going to not answer it, but damn. All right. I see you spark by seek discomfort game. <laughs> nice. Full of, full of bombs. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Shake you up questions. For sure. Well, Brie Tartag Leon, thank you so much for coming on the show. And where can the good people find your work and learn more about the awesome stuff you're doing? I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It was, uh, I love doing this. I love conversating with you. I think that we have just some, some great conversations thus far. So, uh, thank you for having me. Um, if anyone wants to find me, my services, um, check out what I'm doing on in my social spaces. Uh, it's going to be Brie undeniably. So on Instagram and LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, everything, it's going to be Brie undeniably or Brie underscore undeniably, as well as my website is Brie undeniably.com. Uh, and you can find everything, everything there as well. So Brie, B-R-I undeniably.com. Fire. Yeah. Thanks Brie. Wonderful conversation. Always great talking with you. So thanks so much and, and good luck and keep doing the good work and impacting people's lives in a, in a very positive way. Thank you so much, Thomas. It's been a pleasure and we will keep in touch. For sure.